Welcome into the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Elijah Evans, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeff Cohen. We are back with our second edition of 2024 on the Roundup here. Last week, we uh, introduced Jeff to the show and kind of got things rolling with some key takeaways from last year's draft class, in addition to some of the players that we really think are going to make a big impact at the Major League level this year. So if you haven't listened to our first episode together, uh, go back and listen to that on YouTube, wherever you get, wherever else you get your podcasts. Today we've got a fun episode because out of nowhere, the White Sox made two trades on a Saturday, um, pretty much just back to back within about five minutes, I think. Um, I was checking Twitter and I saw the first one break and I was like, whoa. And then next thing you know, there's two trades, um, one kind of that brought back prospects for a current major leaguer and one that actually sent out a prospect for somebody that hopefully will make an impact at the major league level uh, this year. So before we get into that, first of all, Jeff, how you doing? Doing good. It was a good week and uh, looking forward to getting into some prospects. And yeah, a lot of news out of Chicago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's an exciting time. I think it's, you know, we're gearing up to the season. We're only three weeks out from spring training at this point, which is pretty crazy. So now is kind of the time where it's like, you know, what's the roster look like? Where are we at? These are the two. I don't think there's going to be many more big trades. Uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't be shocked though. I mean, it seems like Guess is kind of working on just fine tuning and finding the right pieces to plug into this roster and just add a lot of depth. Actually. I think that the biggest thing about this offseason has been a lot of veteran depth in a way where the White Sox have competition for roster spots i think there's you know there's 30 to 35 players that are going to have a real shot at making that 26 man roster possibly even more honestly so there's a lot of spots open for grab um and we'll let's let's dive into these trades because these are interesting and they definitely change the dynamic of the roster because you got three players uh coming back to the white Sox who are just about major league ready they're all technically qualified as prospects but all of them you know have have either two of them have major league experience and all three of them are at the age and the experience level where they've been in triple a they have that level of experience and they're kind of ready to potentially make an impact in the near future uh, so the first trade was uh, gregory santos who was a uh, kind of the let's say the breakout reliever of the year last year for the white Sox. he, he stepped up at a, at a young age and showed that he can be a serious high leverage bullpen piece at the major league level uh, but ultimately you know bullpen pieces are, are the type of piece that you often want to trade when you're in the situation the white Sox are because you can capitalize on their value five years of control for a young relief arm. And in return, the White Sox got not only two players, but also a draft pick for the 2024 draft. So I think that was honestly the biggest get. I think when you really look into it, the, the biggest get in that trade was the 69th overall pick in the 2024 draft. That's a second round comp pick um, from Seattle. So that's, that's a pick that, you know, if you look in the past, right, there, there's some really exciting prospects in the White Sox system that have been, you know, second, third round guys. Like, that's not a pick to scoff at, right? I mean, that's going to put the White Sox in a position where they've got three picks in the top 70. And, and guys, they can really, you know, it also adds to the bonus pool. So it gives you more money and more flexibility in the draft. Um, and that's kind of the first takeaway that I saw when I saw that trade was like, oh, that's kind of fun because we saw the Orioles make a trade last week where they got where they traded away the 34th overall pick. Um, and now with the ability to these comp picks that can get traded, it adds a different layer to all these trades where it's basically just X prospect, right? It's the way to think of this trade is almost like two prospects and another one to come because they will be drafting a prospect in, in five months from now that would be a pretty high draft pick at that point. So the, the 69th pick and then a Prelander Baroa and Zach Deloke, I think that's how you say his name. I'm not 100% sure, but that's a Baroa is an outfielder. Baroa, pardon me. Baroa is a relief pitcher and Deloke is an outfielder. Both are, you know, major league ready. Baroa appeared for Seattle at the major league level last year. Um, you know, he's high stuff. The command is iffy. That's kind of the, the mold, right? But if you're trading away a 
you know, a high upside reliever in Santos, you're getting back another guy who could be a high upside reliever. He, he kind of moved into a full-time relief role this past season with Seattle, and he's got the stuff to really stick at a, at a key spot in the bullpen. It's just going to come down to his command. He struggled with walks in the past. He's continued to last year a little bit. That was, you know, he made two appearances with Seattle, and that was kind of the, the continual issue with him has been, can he command his stuff? Um, but you know, it's, it's really exciting stuff. What do you kind of, what have you seen online this week about Baroa and what do you like about him, Jeff? Well, one of my buddies is a uh, Mariners fan. So we've talked a lot about him and he's been high on him for quite some time. Yeah. The, the big fastball controls the issue and, uh, you know, we'll see if Brian Bannister, uh, can get him, um, can get him squared away. And if, it, if he can, that's a huge get for the White Sox. Yeah, and I think when you're when you're looking at trading a reliever, right, like I was saying, that's kind of the type of player you want to capitalize in. And if Baroa clicks, right, there's a world where he's as good as Gregory Santos, honestly, right? It's, it's not a guarantee. It's far from a guarantee. I think the command is really still an issue. But, you know, his stuff is up there, and he's, he's got the stuff to be a, a quality reliever uh, pretty, pretty soon, right? Um, and then you switch it over to, to Zach Deloach, who, you know, is the White Sox need a right fielder? That's no mystery. Uh, we knew that there was still going to be some ads coming um, in the outfield, especially because, you know, Luis Roberts in center, Andrew Benintendi's in left, but the right field job and the fourth outfield job for that matter are pretty up in the air. There's been some small signings here and there. There's been some minor league contracts, but um, Deloke is a guy who's, who's 25 years old, was really, really good all last season. He played the, and it's the PCL. So, you know, the most hitter friendly minor league uh league so it's a little bit hard to gauge but an 868 ops last season 23 home runs um at age 20 you know he's 25 years old right he played 138 games in triple a last year that's kind of all you need to prove for a guy who is continued to hit at every level and as as you know it was last year was the best year of his minor league career um and he's someone who's going to get the chance to earn reps in, in right field what have you uh what have you seen on him and what is your kind of gauge on how much he could impact the team well if his floor is that of a fourth outfielder. That's just the floor. I'll take that in a, as a add-in to a trade where you also get the competitive balance pick and a big uh, relief arm. You know, I'll take right. that. Um, and if you think about it, well, here's a spoiler alert. We're going to also talk about the acquisition of another young guy, Dominique Fletcher. Fletcher and Deloach become the top two White Sox outfield prospects. Yeah. That is not insignificant. Yeah. I think for a team that doesn't have a lot of depth in the outfield, we've talked about this before, you know, Luis Roberts, incredible. He's going to be in center field for a long time. Benintendi's locked up on that contract, but beyond those two, there's really not a lot of exciting depth. I mean, we, we saw Oscar Colas last year and he, he just didn't appear to be a major league caliber player for most of last year. Um, and a team that doesn't have a lot of depth in the farm system. We're going to talk about one guy later um, who I do like in terms of outfield prospects, but there's not a lot of outfield prospects. Uh, you know, a guy like George Walcow, right, is many, many years away. That's probably the top outfield prospect in the org right now. But these are two guys with a high floor um, and just something you can bank on. Originally, when I saw this deal, I was like, I was a little disappointed in the return because Santos, you know, five years of control for a guy who immediately slots into a high leverage role. I was like, dang, I feel like the White Sox could have got a little more. But when you really look at it, at the end of the day, you have an upside reliever who, if he clicks, could be a, another high leverage reliever, an outfielder with at least at least a good AAA player with the hope of being, you know, a fourth outfielder, maybe a platoon starter at best. And then a draft pick that, you know, the way the White Sox have been drafting lately, 
really could be really valuable. So all in all, I think it was a pretty solid trade. Um, I think Santos wasn't going to help the team right now, given the status of the organization. Um, and you're able to get three pieces that could all be, you know, major league pieces in the future. Um, we'll flip it over. You already mentioned Dominic Fletcher. This was this trade caught me seriously off guard. The White Sox traded Christian Mena, who was a top ten system prospect um, by all pretty much rankings, and and a guy who you know made it to AAA last year at twenty years old, which is something you really don't see often, especially for pitchers. Um, and he's someone who you know had had shown a lot of upside at the mound, and and there's been some concerns about his fastball, and that hasn't gone away. But I was a little shocked to see the White Sox trade him. What was your instant reaction to the Mena for Dominic Fletcher trade? Yeah, it caught me off guard as well. Um, because as you and I had talked about in our first episode, we need to look at all of these Chris Getz trades with an eye to 2025. Right. And so, yeah, in a vacuum, it's a great trade. He becomes the top outfielder in the White Sox minor league system. But how does he fit into the team in 2025 and maybe maybe he's a great fit with his defense and if he's got a decent you know at least a league average or higher on base percentage but it also gives the White Sox two corner outfielders with minimal power you know I've read some takes on him that you know he's gonna he's got a little more power than he's got deceptive power so hopefully that's the case but yeah. In this day and age, you typically want at least one power bat in your corner outfield, right? Yep. It's definitely a factor. I think the White Sox, when you look at the roster, I think you're you're banking on Eloy Jimenez as a DH being that power outfielder per se, even though he's not playing the outfield. And obviously Luis Robert is not necessarily a traditional center fielder. He's more of a masher than, you know, a normal center fielder. You're a lot of guys will will think the the most athletic, the most fast guy. And while Luis Robert is obviously fast and athletic, he also does have 40 home run power like we saw last year. So that's kind of your power outfielder who's also your athletic center fielder. Um, but it is interesting that you that you say that because there is some similarities with Benintendi. With that said, I think Fletcher has a little more intrigue to his game. Uh, when you look at his season last year, you know in Triple A he had a he had a walk rate at twelve and a half percent, which is really nice to see, and a strikeout rate pretty much his entire career he's had a strikeout rate under twenty percent. So and then uh, to go along with ten home runs, right? So in sixty six games, you got to see some power at that level, like you said. I mean, there's there's some sneaky power there. I don't think it's a it's a power bat, but you know. He, he got called up with the Diamondbacks for, for small stretches last year, 28 games in the major leagues. The walk rate went down from what it was in AAA, but that's just a very small sample. And he had a 113 WRC plus, you know, an OPS of over, I think he in the major leagues when he was playing last year, he had an OPS pushing 800, I want to say. So this is a guy who, who showed more last year in right field than anybody we've seen playing right field for the White Sox in, I don't know, a number of years for sure. So I, I don't, the trading Mena feels weird to me and it feels wrong, but at the same time, I think this is a situation where you kind of just got to put some faith in the new guys and Bannister and, and all these other new guys that are in control and just let it happen and see where it plays out because there's got to be some logic there with Mena where they just don't quite see the fastball coming together and they see him becoming more of a reliever because I can see the risk there. He's really reliant on his breaking balls and the breaking balls were really effective last year, but there was times last season, you know, the numbers against the fastball is, are not great. It got beat up a lot last year. He was kind of working on adjusting it into more of a two-seam fastball as opposed to a four-seam. But in general, it wasn't that effective last season. So I think if the organization sees him as a high reliever risk and they can get a guy who could start opening day probably in right field, it's a chance sometimes you you got to take. Yeah. 
you know, when I think about the acquisition of Fletcher, I think, yeah, he's a great fit to the team. And it would be even better if they could move Benatendi. And yeah. um, and people think, oh, you know, that contract is an albatross. I don't think so. $15 million a year is not that crazy. And if, you know, if Benatendi has a good first half of the season, somebody might take a flyer on him for sure. Yeah, it would be tricky coming off of last year, right? So it would have to be a much better first half of the season, I think, right, just because right. of where he was last year. But again, I don't I don't disagree. That's definitely a possibility. And I think there's a world where, you know, that happens. And there's a world where they just kind of eat some contract money to get rid of him, too. I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen. Um, I mean, I know you never want to just eat contract for the sake of eating contract. But I think it's, it's definitely possible, um, given where the Sox are at right now. I, I don't think... I don't know if Benny's the long-term piece, right? I think there's a lot of concerns of if he should be around long-term and if he's not, then maybe Fletcher is the perfect right fielder and you can try and figure out left field in the future, whether it be, you know, a George Walcow eventually or a free agent signing next year or a few other pieces that could kind of develop. So it's hard to gauge, but I think in the short term, you know, these trades netted two right fielders who are going to both probably see major league time this year. Fletcher, I think, will be the opening day starter, honestly, uh, based on what we saw from him last year and given that he's, you know, going to be 26 this year. And then Baroa, who will have a chance to earn a bullpen spot out right out of the gate, honestly. And if he doesn't right out of the gate, he should be up rather soon, I would say. Um, so there are three pieces that we'll see in Chicago this year, probably, in addition to a draft pick that will that will be pretty valuable. Um, so all in all, very interesting. Um, I can't say I completely understand uh, this offseason by Getz, but I, I see the vision. I, I see the ideas behind it. And I see that, you know, like we've talked about, this year is a building season. It's not about right now. It's about figuring out some pieces, plugging some holes, and just seeing what you've got to work with going into next year while letting all these prospects in the system grow. Yeah, one last comment before we move forward. When I yeah. think about Fletcher on the roster, I'm thinking how he fits into a roster that maybe has uh, Ramos at third and Montgomery at short um, and Vaughn at first, and that plus Eloy and Robert. Right. Um, so maybe that works if um, if there's enough power uh, from those infielders. Right. I think that's I think that's a good point. I think there's there's a world where it makes a lot of sense, and you know, at, at the end of the day, this this team has struggled with with contact and with just getting on base. And this is a guy who should get on base at a pretty regular clip. And that is something that it shouldn't be scoffed at. I mean, it, it's, it can be important at times and it can, it can make a difference. And, you know, fundamental baseball is what gets been praising preaching all, all off season. And this is another guy who looks like a fundamentally sound player. He's going to play good defense. I mean, the outfield defense could be phenomenal. Um, and that's coming off. Of, I mean, all things considered, I know Ben Intendi had a down year last year, but he's a career solid defender. Luis Roberts, a gold glove candidate and Fletcher is from all things I've read a well above average defender as well in right field so you're looking at an outfield that will have the best defense the white Sox have had in the outfield in in a number of years given who's been playing the outfield the last few years um so we'll, we'll see where things take it but it was interesting moves it's, it's fun to see gets make moves uh, moves are good moves are exciting especially <laughs> given the status of the white Sox. so um you know if some things it, who knows there's a chance that christian mana develops into a really good pitcher i wouldn't be surprised i think he's got incredible work ethic um, i enjoyed talking with him this summer and he's just he, he's a good pitcher but you know they, they saw something they wanted in dominic fletcher and you know that's that's worth taking a shot on sometimes so 
we're going to see how that all plays out. Um, you know, let's let's dive into some more stuff because we're, we're talking prospects here. That's what we're all about. All three of those guys might be in the big leagues this year, but um, our focus today is going to be on guys who are who are definitely further away, not players we expect to see in the big leagues anytime soon. Uh, we're going to talk just some single A and high A guys um, and where, where they're at and some guys we really want to watch this season. Um, you know, the first one is pretty obvious for most people who know the kind of the status of the White Sox farm system. We're going to start on the pitching side, and and that's got to start with Noah Schultz, right? Noah Schultz is, is the consensus second-ranked prospect in the White Sox system pretty much anywhere you go, um, and he's someone who the upside is unbelievable. He's had Chris Sale comps from since the second they drafted him, um, and he's a 6'9 left-hander, uh, only, I believe, I think he's only 20 years old. Um, so, you know, drafted out of high school in the first round in 2022, and the upside is unbelievable um but he only you know he only threw 27 innings last year so i want to hear your take on this because you saw schultz in person um in kannapolis and he's someone who if he's if he can get some innings under his belt and really start to build up his innings this is a guy who could legitimately be one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball well he's got a fastball between 94 and 96 he also has the best slider i saw in the minor leagues last year just deadly wipe out and he was developing a changeup and you know, seemed to be making some progress there. But you're yeah. right. It's all about um, getting innings under his belt. But assuming he does that, Elijah, can you see him getting to Birmingham or do you think he ends up the year in Winston? I, I don't think Birmingham, um, just because he is really young and because he spent the entire season last year dealing with arm injuries and only throwing 27 innings, I think it's going to be a really slow pace for him um, just because – this is a guy who, like, like I was saying, this is a guy who you can envision being at the top of your rotation one day. And those are the players you don't mess around with. You don't want to rush them. You don't want to push their arm. It's just not worth it. And it's not like he's 24 coming off of a season with 27 innings. He's 20 He's twenty years old. He doesn't even turn 21 until almost the end of the season. So this is someone that we, we want to see and we're excited to see, but we got to be patient. And everybody, fans just have to be patient with this guy because he – is extremely talented and he's someone that we think could be a massive piece of the future, but you can't rush that. Um, I mean, if I'm, he's going to start at Canny again, I believe. Um, and I think he's someone who, you know, you start him three innings a game and you see what he can do from there. And if you can just keep him pitching once a week, that's the goal, right? It's not about forcing him to get to six inning games, right? keeping him in the rotation was, is the key thing, right? Last year, 10 starts, 27 innings, right? So he was barely, he was, you only, he was only going two three innings. I think, I think he maxed out at three and a third, I want to say in his biggest start of the year. So, you know, he wasn't pitching a lot, but if you can get him in the rotation, making 20 starts, 20, 20, 25 starts, that's the dream. Even if it's three inning starts, four inning starts, right? Getting him that repetition and getting him at least 20 go arounds in the rotation would be massive for his development. If he gets, I'll put this in, in on record and in my thoughts, if he gets 75 innings next season, this is a guy who will be one of the top five pitching prospects in baseball, if not top three. It, the upside is there. Like you said, the, the fastball slider combo is ridiculous. He's got his changeup has continued to get better. I think every time I've kind of watched him last year, his changeup looked a little bit better. Um, but in general, you know, his combination of his, his arm slot and his length with that riding fat, with that riding fastball and just the sharpness of his slider and the movement it's got on it. It's really special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very exciting. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some other names. Uh, Schultz was at the top of a really impressive rotation in Kannapolis. A lot of other interesting names we're going to get into. 
Yeah, hundred percent. We'll uh, we'll dive right into the next guy who you know was drafted with Schultz and is someone that we think highly of. And last year was kind of the year for him just to get innings under his belt. And now I think I'm really ready to see another step from Peyton Paulette. Um, this is a guy who was a second rounder, you know, super high upside stuff when he was in college. Um, and he's just someone who I think is it, last year was his version of this coming season for, for Schultz. Like I'm saying, you know, he needed innings. He was coming off a of surgery. He needed to get those innings under his belt. He ended up throwing, you know, 72 innings last year um, in Kannapolis. And that's exactly what he needed to do last year. It wasn't amazing. The walks were a little higher than you would have liked. The strikeouts weren't quite as high as you would have maybe hoped from a guy like him. But 72 innings, 22 starts, a lot of just repetition, staying in the rotation, getting his innings under his belt. I expect a big jump forward, actually, from Paulette this year. I think now that he kind of is healthy and he's got that time in the system, uh, he's a guy that I think could could really take a big step forward. I think he'll be in Winston sooner than later, and I think he'll probably end up in Birmingham this year, honestly. Yeah, I agree. 22 starts last year was everything you could hope for for him. And, uh, you know, I talked to both Peyton Paulette and Tanner McDougal, both guys coming back from TJ surgery. And, they, you know, they admit it's a process. You know, you've got to find your release point. You spend half the season trying to you know, rework your mechanics. So it, it's a work in progress, but uh, really encouraging. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's exactly right. You know, he's he's got the upside and he just he now that he's healthy and now that he's got that season under his belt i think it's time where you could see a jump in his stuff you know his fastball is extremely exciting that was kind of the one of the more exciting factors of him coming out of college that he had that really high velocity fastball um, but in general it's developed some good movement he's got he's, he's continuing to work on that curveball and that changeup is just a, a well-rounded three-pitch mix i think and a guy who in general, you know, if those three pitches are working, he could be a really solid starter um, as he continues to develop. I think, I think he, you know, will be in Winston. I think Birmingham is on the rise for him. You know, he's 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 an older guy. He's been around. He was a college draft pick, and now that he's fully healthy, I, I think Paulette's really exciting to watch. And you just mentioned the next guy, Tanner McDougal, um, another guy that came off TJ last year, and it, you know, it was all about getting those innings. I think that's the biggest thing is was was getting him on the mound and getting him healthy. I think last year. The, ex, the the results for him weren't quite what a lot of people expected from him because he was a really high draft pick, you know, a, a fifth-round pick, but someone that was out of high school and just more upside than a typical fifth-round pick, honestly. And this is only going to be his age 21 season, which I think is it's hard to see because, you know, he got he threw some games in 2021, missed all of 2022 with TJ. Um, and then last year, you know, 21 starts, 69 and a third innings, similar thing, just had to get on the mound, get those innings. 80 strikeouts across those those 69 innings. Um, you know, there is a lot to like with McDougal, and he's another one that I think, you know, he's only 20 years old, going to be 21 this season. So another guy we're going to be watching closely, and now that he's fully healthy and had that first season of getting innings under his belt, could be really exciting to watch uh, develop and probably will make his way to Winston soon. Yeah, I agree. Uh, really exciting. One of the things that um, he that he really impressed with was his breaking pitches. A lot of spin yeah. on those breaking pitches. Yeah, hundred percent. I think his, his curveball comes in as a sixty grade, um, and something that could even could even be better, honestly. Um, you know, his fastball is high velocity. The curveball has some really good, you know, break and just a lot of depth to it, I think, from what I've seen. Um, and I think he's someone who he's kind of continuing to work on that third, what that third pitch is going to be. He's worked with the changeup. He's worked with the slider. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit interesting to see where he kind of attacks with that fastball curveball and how he goes beyond that. Because, you know, to, to be able to be an established starter, you typically need that third pitch to work with. Um, and I think he... 
I'm curious to see what that becomes, whether it the fast, the slider or the changeup becomes that true third pitch. Um, I think he's a guy that will spend the majority of the season at Winston. And, and like I said, you know, he's still only 21 years old this season. So been in the system for a while, kind of been on the top prospect list for a few years now, but someone that now that he's healthy is, is going to be exciting. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him develop. Moving into some of the next pitchers, we've got some fun international guys. Um, how about Juan Carrella uh, was a was picked up last season um, in the Kenyon Middleton trade, which was a really under the radar move of all those deadline moves by the White Sox, kind of selling off some guys. And Middleton was someone who was in the midst of a kind of a, a career season out of the bullpen for the White Sox, and and they cashed in in a big way. I, I think Carrella for you know for a rental reliever, um, Carrella was a really nice pickup, and he's someone that I I personally have him ranked a little bit higher than I think the consensus does because he looked really good at a young age last season. Um, and he was just kind of continued. He, he started at the lower levels and then just has gotten better and better every season. Honestly, he, he was solid in 2022. It's still with the Yankees organization. And then last year when he came over to the White Sox, he went straight to Winston-Salem and, and was really impressive. His first six starts with the organization, you know, six starts, 32 and a third innings, a 3-3-4 ERA to go along with 27 strikeouts during that span um, and just limited contact. Well, he's just a really well-rounded arm. Um, did you get to see him at all in Winston in person? I did. Uh, yeah. He was really impressive. I was looking at his stats uh, in low a with the Yankees before he came to the white Sox, 109 strikeouts and in 83 innings, only 65 hits and 32 walks, which is not too bad and 16 starts. So yeah, yeah very impressive. Um, I yeah. think he was overshadowed by some of the other names, um, but uh, I, I don't think he's going to catch anyone off guard this season. I think he'll become one of the best pitchers in Winston. Yeah, I think he's the type of guy who has a, a lot of a really safe floor. I think um, I don't know if the upside is like he doesn't have a pitch that's really good. He doesn't have stuff that's you know overpowering. But I think this is a guy who works all of his pitches pretty well. He's got a five pitch mix. Um, you know, I, from what I was looking at, it, he's consistently throwing a fastball, curveball, slider, changeup, and cutter as well. Um, so, you know, he works a lot of different pitches. They're all pretty solid. I think he's got just a good repertoire and a, and a consistent pitcher who, you know, kind of projects as one of those back of the rotation arms. Maybe he's a, he's a bullpen arm if things don't work out, but a lot of different pitches to work with. I think he could continue to add some strengths too. He's a, he's really slender at this point. You know, he's, he's listed at only, I think he's listed at 185 pounds, six, uh, three. So pretty, pretty lean young guy. And at only 22 years old heading into the season, um, I think he'll, he might even get to Birmingham right off the bat, but I think sooner than later after starting in Winston last year, he'll be in double a, um, and someone that, you know, should be in the rotation getting starts every single week. And I think the the floor is there for him to really take another step forward. If he continues to add some strength and some, some extra movement on his pitches. Absolutely. And again, not out of the question, you know, we keep talking about what the White Sox are going to look like in 2025. He could be up at the all-star break. Whoa. Yeah. That's, that's a, I, I don't hate that take. I think there's a, there's a lot to think. There's a lot to dream on with him. I think this next year will be the first full year with him in the system and he'll get a chance to, to be a starter and make 25 starts and just see if he can continue to get better and build off what he did last year. Cause what he did last year was quietly one of the better pitchers in, in the lower levels of the minor leagues, for the White Sox, once he got traded over. Uh, that takes us into another guy, another um, a fun international guy. Uh, keep an eye on another one is Aldrin Batista, um, who is someone who I also have, think I have ranked a little bit ahead of a lot of the other guys in the system. He, you know, made his came over to rookie ball. He was playing in the DSL last year, um, and then this year played made ten appearances in rookie ball, and then finished the season in Canapolis with five starts. 
listen to this, Jeff. You know, last five starts, his first five starts at affiliated ball, a 2.66 ERA across 23 and two thirds innings, 21 strikeouts to seven walks, and only seven runs allowed across those five starts. So this is a guy who, you know, he's super young. He's really raw, only 20 years old, but got up to Kannapolis last year and not only looked comfortable, but looked really dominant. And this wasn't just a guy who, you know, got pushed to Kannapolis to, to just, and struggled and kind of just figured it out. Like he immediately looked good in Kannapolis. So this is someone who at, at only 20 years old, I think Batista is, is one of the more slept on arms in, in the system, in my opinion, from what I've seen from him. Um, I'm excited to go watch some more of his starts in depth this season, but you know, it's it's always good to see a guy at that age already start to look good in affiliated ball, especially his first taste of of full season minor league ball at the end of the year last year. So Batista's a guy that probably will start again in Kannapolis, um, but is really exciting under the radar arm at only 20 years old. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Did you get to see any of him at the end of the year in Kannapolis? I, you know, actually, I saw one of his starts, really impressive. And, yeah. you know, I'm trying to learn Spanish, and I tried to talk to him in Spanish after the uh, after the game. We had a brief conversation. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, I, I think he's a guy that's a – for those that don't know him, he's probably the least known name of the ones we've talked about so far. Keep your eye on him, um, Sox fans, because I, I do believe that he's someone who could really make some waves this coming season, um, and I don't – I don't think he's on many top 30 lists. He's going to be on mine though, personally. Um, and I think he's someone that we could, we could see really, really take some more steps forward next year. Uh, that takes us into kind of a, a different type of arm. We're going to go a little bit. So we've been talking, Batista is a guy who, you know, you love the upside. You love the projectability. Um, Tyler Schweitzer is someone I want to mention as, as just somebody who is just a quality pitcher. And as an older player, um, you know, he's going to be, I believe he's 23 years old this going into this season. Uh, Schweitzer is someone that's just really well-rounded. He, he pitched at a small college at, at Ball State and was someone who, you know, the Sox took a chance on in the fifth round, which is pretty high for someone um, of his college status. And, you know, he he's just been nothing but consistent since he last year in his first full season, he was just steady 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 split time between Kannapolis and Winston um, and I think Schweitzer's just a, as a four pitch mix just pretty good command good control all around the board um, just just a really well-rounded pitcher who I think the floor for him and his age right now we could see him really move up the rankings pretty quickly what have you uh, seen from Schweitzer yeah 13 starts in Kannapolis nine in Winston-Salem and uh, combined 227 batting average against Really solid. And yeah, I think I mean, of that great Kannapolis staff, I believe he was the first of those starters to move to Winston. Yeah, I think he, well, he was one of the earlier ones that went up for sure because he, he had nine appearances. He had nine starts, ten appearances in Winston down the stretch. And the numbers reduced a little bit in Winston. Um, but generally speaking, he still did a really good job at limiting hard contact. He, he forces a lot of ground balls just the way he pitches. Um, again, not a guy that's going to overwhelm you with strikeouts, but 121 strikeouts across 107 innings is nothing to scoff at, uh, but he's just going to command well. He's going to force guys to hit into ground balls and just and just be a well-rounded pitcher, and, and that's something that is always good to have in the system, and I think it's going to cause him to be in, in Birmingham, if not off the bat, pretty soon, I think. And, you know, if he profiles as an SP4, that's great. We'll take that. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing – you got to have some guys that you can that you can see that reliability with. And I think he showed nothing but consistency last year where you you can pencil him in as, as a high four guy who will continue to rise to the system quickly. Uh, let's touch on two 
probably relievers here. Um, I think Eric Adler is the first one I want to mention because Eric Adler is a guy who is just who was really really good last year. Um, not even I think there was never a chance he was going to be a starter. He's kind of always been he's been looked at as a reliever off the bat when he was drafted, um, but a really high upside reliever. He he finished his last 16 games in Winston Salem, 16 games pitched, uh, 20 innings in that time, a 270 RA, 23 strikeouts. Um, he made his way. He was in the Arizona Fall League. Um, just a guy who has just been nothing but steady. Um, I think, and given the fact that he's, you know, 23 years old was drafted two years ago, I think he's going to be in Birmingham, probably, probably to start the season, honestly, in the Birmingham bullpen. And I think he's going to become kind of a guy that you could look at as a possible closer option. He got a few, he got five saves last year and someone who could continue to be, uh, you know, a legit piece in the bullpen. What have you seen from Adler? Well, one of the, here's the stat I really like uh, uh, with regard to his 20 innings in Winston-Salem. No home runs. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you just yeah. don't see that from minor league pitchers very much. No, you But really um, he's don't. got a big fastball. I think it tops out around 98. He's got the potential to have three-plus pitches. So um, if he can just uh, stay on top of his command, uh, big future. Yeah, I completely agree with Adler. And then uh, let's touch on Norhe Vera quickly before we get into our hitters. Um, Vera's a guy who just we haven't been able to see pitch, unfortunately, much. Um, just a lot of injury issues um, and things holding him back. And in his time, you know, we saw him in 2023, 2022 for a while, and he looked really good in Kannapolis um, last year and then struggled when he got to the higher levels. He got pushed a little bit towards the end of the season. Um, last year, he dealt with some injuries, got some time in Winston, definitely struggled. Uh, the walks have continued to be a huge issue for him, uh, but someone with a big arm that, you know, there was a time when he was regarded in the top 30 prospects for the White Sox. He's he's probably outside of that right now, but, you know, I think in a he, he is a starter. I think he might profile more as a reliever moving forward. Um, where are you at with Vera, and what do you think we could see from him this year? You know, I actually caught one of his games, and uh, and given how little he pitched, that's that's something. Yeah. But uh, when I saw him warming up, I thought he was soft tossing in the bullpen, just getting loose. And someone said, "No, that's his. Those are his mechanics." It was the smoothest delivery I have seen in the minor leagues. I mean, it just looked <laughs> effortless. Uh, so yeah, you know, if he gets healthy, if he has a full, if he has a healthy season, we'll get to see uh, what that potential really is. We haven't seen it, in, you know. He's had two years just filled with injury. Yeah, it's it's tricky for sure, but I think it'd be uh, it'd be nice to see Vera get some more innings under his belt. He'll probably start in Winston again, um, maybe work his way up to to Birmingham if he can kind of produce and stay healthy. Moving uh, moving over to the hitting side, let's let's keep it rolling. Um, I think the first guy I want to mention is someone that I think most fans at this point are familiar with. Uh, I did a great interview with him. He was super fun to talk to. Um, and that's Jacob Burke, who, like we were talking about, there's not a lot of outfielders to watch in the system. This is definitely one of them. Uh, Burke had a huge breakout season last year. You know, he was an 11th round pick um, two years ago, kind of fell in the draft. He was originally projected to go much higher, but fell back in the draft. Um, and the Sox were able to scoop him up for an above slot in the 11th round. Um, and last year, he he showed the makings of a really, really solid player in his first full season. Um, you know, he he split time between Kannapolis and Winston, finished his last 50 games with Winston, was amazing in Kannapolis, a 928 OPS there. Still solid in Winston with a 771 OPS. Um, you know, solid stolen base threat, really exciting defense. Um, I know you got a few, you saw him a few times. The, the defense is spectacular in center field. Um, and then, you know, made his way to the Arizona Fall League this past fall alongside top prospects, Brian Ramos and Colson Montgomery. 
and actually performed better than both of them um, in the Arizona Fall League for for all things considered. I know that's a very small sample size uh, in a kind of high pressure situation, but seeing Burke keep up with prospects that are you know two three levels above him, he hasn't even been above high A, and he was facing you know mostly double a lot of double A triple A pitchers and and succeeded in the Arizona Fall League. That was exciting for me. Um, not a lot of power probably that you're going to see from Burke, but a solid approach, good speed, elite defense, really solid contact skills. That's kind of the makings of what Burke's at. Um, what did you see from him and what do you, what do you think he could kind of be this coming season? I watched uh, Burke a lot because he, as you recall, he had a 52 game, which is insane, a 52 game on base, um, on base streak. And so I was watching a lot of those games, um, especially as he neared Colson Montgomery's record. Um, and this one of the, you know, he's uh, what, an 11th round draft pick, I believe. Yeah, and, exactly. And uh, so he plays with a chip on his shoulder, right? He, uh, he wants to prove yeah. that he belongs and uh, he plays really hard. He's one of those guys that you just can't help but like. Yeah, he's a super. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see his upside. So, you know, he's he's performed well um, through high A and low A, and so curious to see what he does in a full season in Birmingham. Yeah, I think the the question with him is just going to be the impact with the bat. I think he he is a little aggressive at the plate sometimes, generally, um, and kind of is limited with his power, not a ton of power. But he has a line drive swing. He can drive balls to the gaps. Um, and then from there, it's just all about the wheels and the defense, right? I think it's it really the selling point for him is that he's a he's a well above average, you know, runner and fielder. So I think Burke kind of he he kind of has that profile of of a fourth outfielder. I think he could be more than that. Um, but I, I really do think he he appears to be at the very least kind of a, an exciting fourth outfielder to keep an eye on because of that speed and that defense. Well, one of the things um, that that 52 game on base streak um, underscores is his ability to get on base. He took a lot of walks. He had a uh, 377 on base percentage. That's great. That'll play. Yeah, yeah I think, right. It's, it's, he's not a, a typical like, oh, he's got great contact. He's got great power. Neither of those are in his in his wheelhouse, but he finds a way. He gets on base. He makes things happen on the bases once he's on base. And then he goes around and plays gold glove type defense in center field, which is that that's the thing where, you know, he, he could be a really solid center fielder or an elite corner outfielder, I think, defensively when you look at him um, in that regard. We'll, we'll shift over to a player who is kind of the total opposite in terms of that. We're talking about that floor with Burke being just a really well-rounded player. Let's talk Ryan Burrows, um, who's that really high upside. I think one of the guys that we're watching in the system as someone who could could really show a lot this season um, has yet to appear in affiliated ball. was in the DSL in 2022 and then was in rookie ball last year. His numbers came down a little bit in rookie ball, um, but this is a guy with with plus speed, and just a lot to dream on a really lean has a lot of room to add strength uh solid bat to ball skills and just someone that we i think are kind of circling as that guy that you know should start his full season career in canapolis this year um and that we just really want to see what he's got because he's looked rather exciting in the dominican league um and then in rookie ball last year there's just a lot of young um kind of energy from him and someone that i think we we would want to see what he can do. Um, what do you think are some of the things that you noticed about him or you're looking forward to seeing from him in Canapolis? Well, he, he was a fun interview. And I, I think what's amazing is you're right. He hasn't taken his first pro at bat and yet he continues to shoot up these uh, prospect rankings. Um, yeah. So uh, he's his reputation and what he displayed in uh, the DSL was uh, 
just advanced hitting skills, just uh, really good at recognizing pitches, managing the strike zone, getting the bat on the ball. So, yeah, yeah. exciting to uh, dream on him. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's someone that we, you know, we don't like, we don't know exactly what he's going to present, um, but I think he's, it's, he's shown enough where you want to see what that next step is going to look like for him um, because I think there's there's a lot to like there and there's a lot to dream on um, as someone who you know is just 19 years old um, will be making his debut in Kannapolis at, at Affiliated Ball this year. So really exciting pro- prospect to watch. I think there's not a lot of you know there's not a lot of players in the system that have as much to dream on um, as with Burroughs. Um, we'll shift over to another guy who you know is as young and is kind of didn't have the best of seasons last year in comparison to the year prior when he really showed out but it was his first professional full season. So uh, Lloydale Chapei um, is an interesting name to watch because he he was in the DSL in 2022 and then last year immediately put in Winston-Salem. So this is someone who I think it's understated how much the organization kind of put faith in him to jump him in his first professional season to high A immediately where he played the entire season, 106 games. And the the approach is iffy. I think the the 115 strikeouts, he can definitely get aggressive at times. But he also had 61 walks, um, high speed guy, 26 stolen bases, um, and just a well-rounded player. A lot of doubles as well, kind of gap-to-gap type stuff, not a ton of power. Um, but Chapey is someone who I, I think people forget that last year was his first professional season in stateside um, and was still pretty solid being kind of rushed to a higher level. Yeah, I, I think it says a lot that the White Sox saw enough of him to skip yeah. Canapolis completely. Now, he's yeah, an interesting sure. guy. He's 5'8", 187 pounds. That's pretty yeah. a pretty stocky fellow. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought his stats were phenomenal last year. 36 extra base hits, 10 home runs, and like you said, 61 walks. Uh, that's a yeah. great first season. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. I think it was, it was underrated that he – it, you know, I think the expectations went a little, a little bit higher for him last year, but like you, like we said, skipping a level, still solid, a lot of upside with the speed, kind of gap to gap type of swing. He can throw, hit the ball all over the place. So that's someone that we we want to keep an eye on because I think he is getting a little bit underrated um, in the past few in this past year, um, considering this is his first professional season. Um, let's move into another guy that. So let's talk about some of these college guys from these recent draft classes. Uh, Brooks Baldwin is someone that really caught my eye last year um, as just a super versatile player. Um, Baldwin played all over the field. He was just really steady for much of the season. I think it was kind of someone who just just continued to produce um, at the at Kannapolis and then moved up to Winston-Salem where his numbers actually got much better. Uh, it's not super common that you see a guy in his first full professional season who gets a promotion and then the numbers jump up. Um, you know, a 783 OPS when he was in Kannapolis jumped to an 870 when he was in Winston-Salem for the final 26 games of his season. Uh, some solid speed, 22 stolen bases. He walks a little. He had 15 home runs, 15 doubles. So he's got some some underrated power, and and it's it can't be – it's always a valuable factor to to play all over the field. And Baldwin is someone who who played, I want to say he played six positions. I'm, I'm going to check this right now, but what are your thoughts on Baldwin? Well, I'm curious, where do you think he uh, profiles uh, position-wise? I, I think he is a type of player who you want being a, a Swiss Army knife. I, I think he... I don't think be, because his, his power is solid, it's not great. His hit tool is solid. It's not great. I think he's he's right around average in terms of his hit and his power. So he's the type of player that if you can get 
decent offensive production out of him, being able to move him all over the infield and even in the corner outfields would be incredibly valuable. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Last season, um, you know, he played shortstop, DH, first base, second base, third base, left field, and center field. So he basically played everywhere. Um, So, you know, this is someone who, if you can get decent offensive production out of a player like that, and he can play all over the field, that's a level of versatility that, that can provide a lot of value to a team. Well, and so far, he's hit everywhere he's been, uh, even if he doesn't have yeah. the reputation. I mean, yeah, I think he hit 347 in college. He led the Cape Cod League in, hit it, in hits. Um, yep. He had nice uh, ratio of walks to strikeouts. A lot of the things you like to look for. So, so far, so yeah. good. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a, it's, it's a floor guy, another guy who I don't think has a ton of projectability, but he's a fringe top 30 prospect in the system probably. I think he might be right outside of the top 30 for me right now. Um, but Baldwin is someone that is going to be fun to keep watching because he's, the versatility is exciting, and he, he showed a lot of variety of strengths last year um, where he could be in he'll, – he'll be in Winston probably, and I think because of his age, he could be in Birmingham pretty much sooner than later. Uh, I yeah, want to touch on another uh, guy. Yeah, go ahead. You know, excuse me. And he's a 12th-round draft pick, so yeah. – you're just rolling the dice. Um, but if you want to have a successful franchise, you need a couple of those guys to hit. Completely, completely. And I think there's. it's fun to look at the White Sox. We, we talked 2023 draft class last year. I'm excited to see where that one goes, but it's cool to look back at the 2022 class because those are guys like half the guys we've just mentioned in the last 20 minutes have been those 2022 draft class. And a lot of the mid to late round picks. Baldwin was a late round pick. Burke was a late round pick. Some of these other guys we've talked about have been, you know, those mid to late round picks, right? So there's a lot of interesting players and I, I'm going to get right into another one right now. I want to briefly touch on a few more. We're, we're getting a little long here. I don't want to keep everybody listening to us for too long, but um, we'll, we'll touch on Mario Camaletti, um, who's another guy that's an eighth round pick from the 2022 class. And that, that class is looking really good. And, and Camaletti last year in his first full season, was mostly in Kannapolis, got to a little taste of Winston-Salem at the end of the year, but finished the season with a 791 OPS, uh, 98 walks. That is something that I took notice of, and only 79 strikeouts. Um, I believe that's one of the highest. I think he was towards the top of the list in, in all of single A last year in Kannapolis with walks, um, and just a really well-rounded approach. Not a ton of power, but good line drive hitter who has – genuinely one of the better approaches I've ever seen from a player at the, at the single A level of 429 on base percentage last season due to those walks. Yeah. I find it interesting when I talk to managers and ask, just ask about their team. Like when I, I think I mentioned last week, when I talked to Guillermo Quiros in Winston-Salem, the first guy he mentioned was Michael Turner. When I talked to Pat Leland in Kannapolis, he raved about Mario Camaletti. Yeah. What did he, what was some of his thoughts? Well, he, he just thought that, uh, you know, he thought uh, he was uh, doing great at the plate and he was uh, solid in the field. And he, he thought he was an all-around, well-rounded player. Yeah. let's. You just mentioned him. I was about to talk about Michael Turner. Uh, Michael Turner is another guy that I interviewed this past offseason who I love talking to. Um, another type, same type of thing as uh, Camaletti, like I was just mentioning. Unbelievable approach. Uh, 64 walks to only 58 strikeouts, a 430 on base percentage. Um, and he hit too, 309 batting average, right? That was, he's not just an on base guy. Um, Turner had 26 doubles, only four home runs. I think he's a big dude. I think he could really, he talked to me about how he's trying to add more of those home run balls to his swing because he knows he has that power, but just hasn't been able to translate it into to elevation quite yet. I think the launch angle could go up a little bit more for him. He could become a really fun catcher to watch in a system that, 
quietly, like we talked about last week, has a lot of catching depth compared to a year ago. Um, Turner, you know, he, he is blocked by Edgar Caro. So I think because of that, he probably is just going to be whatever level behind Caro. I think it's kind of like that chain of effects um, that we were talking about a little bit where where Turner will be the, lo- the level below Caro. And then when Caro gets promoted, Turner will probably get promoted in hand. Um, they're going to want him continuing to get every day at bats, though, because he was truly really, really good last year playing the entire season as the primary catcher, um, catcher DH combo in Winston-Salem. Yeah, uh, I'm showing that he's 25. Is, is that right? Is he yeah, right? he was he was drafted old. He was drafted at 23 um, out of college. So he was a fifth year player in college and out of Arkansas. So he definitely was kind of a, a senior signing, which, which you'll call it in the ninth round, like another 2022 draft guy. That's half of the guys we've talked about today. Um, so he is an older prospect at 25, but someone that it, it can never hurt to have catching depth in the system and a guy who is a has a really good approach at that um, and is really advanced as a hitter for because of all his experience in college. Yeah, it's not inconceivable to think uh, a couple of years down the road that it's he and Quero as the two catchers in Chicago. There's a chance, yeah. Easily happen. Yeah, even at his age, there's a chance he could feature as a really solid backup catcher. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with him. Well, uh, the last guy we'll touch on, there's plenty of other guys we'll get to throughout the next, you know, the, we're going to be talking prospects all season. So if there's other guys you're hoping to hear about today, don't worry about it. Me and Jeff will get to them in the future, I promise you. Uh, but we'll wrap with uh, Wes Kath here, who's an interesting guy to talk about because he was a second round draft pick, someone that had a ton of pedigree um, coming into kind of coming into his pro career and it just hasn't quite clicked for him yet. Um, You know, this was his last season was, I believe his third full professional season. Um, Well, not full, his second full season. He got drafted in 2021. Um, And then, you know, he, he has struggled to a degree. I think he had a solid 2022. And then last year at his first full season in Winston Salem, definitely struggled at the plate. Um, You know, the strikeout rate was, was much higher than you'd like. The walk rate was a lot lower than the season before. Um, and in general, you haven't quite seen his ability and his upside translate into results. But Kath was a high school draft pick, and he's still just turning just 21 years old for the majority of this coming season. Um, so I haven't given up on Kath, and I, I think he's someone who probably will repeat at Winston to start the year just because he did struggle there a lot last year. Um, but, you know, still still a big dude with a lot of pop in his bat um, and someone that we were really excited about a year ago. Um, and there's not – a bad season last year is not a reason to give up on uh, this guy as a player. Yeah. I talked to Wes, uh, bef- uh, I think, in 2022 before his first full season. And then I saw him toward the end of last year, and I, I didn't recognize him. He was so much bigger and stronger. Yeah, um, He's a second-round draft pick. White Sox really liked what they saw of him in high school. And so you're right. He's not ready for Birmingham, but hopefully he'll it'll click for him in Winston this year. Yeah, I think that's someone just to keep an eye on because I don't I don't want to give up on him yet. And I think there's, like you said, there's a lot of strength there and there's a lot of ability there. Um, and we've, we've seen it in the past. It's just it's going to be a new year for him, a new time for him to try and see what he can do. Um, that's all I've got for today. I think we, we dove into a lot of different guys. Uh, we're going to be talking – um, a lot of double A and triple A guys, some of the upper minor guys next year, uh, next week that we are excited to watch this coming season. Um, so that is, that is all for the roundup, Jeff. I appreciate you being here as always. And we look forward to talking to everybody next week. Great. Thanks, Elijah.